So this morning, our theme is the joy that Christmas comes as we sing Christmas carols. And we've been lighting the Advent candles over the last three weeks. And does anybody remember what the first candle represents? The first candle is the any? prophecy candle. Very good. Okay. So. Okay. And so we had the first candle, the prophecy candle, reminding us that in the Old Testament, the promise of Jesus was coming. And that's why we have the birth of Christ as the fulfillment of God's promise to send the Messiah. Does anybody remember the second candle? What's the second candle called? Who was listening last week? Who remembers? Preparation. The preparation. That's our preacher. <laughs> he did it. So it's okay, good. He's paying attention to himself. Okay. So Jerry reminded us last week um, that Bethlehem was preparing to receive the Savior. And the Old Testament tells us that Bethlehem should be ready because that's where the Savior would be born. Well, today we have a pink candle, and it's different. Um, and this candle is the candle of joy. And it represents the joy of the shepherds when they saw that the angel had come and given them the good news that the Savior would be born and was born already. And so this is the candle, the third candle of Advent, and it's a candle of joy. And so it, it reminds us that this is a season of God coming into our lives so that we would be able to know the joy of life and the meaning of life. And I enjoy Christmas when I sing Christmas carols. And I don't know about you, but could you imagine what would Christmas be like without Christmas carols? I mean, it wouldn't be the same, right? We, we, we love Christmas songs. And I remember as a young boy that I was, there was one time when I began to know about Jesus. And that was on a Christmas Eve. Actually, I know the year. It was 1971. And I was on the bus. Our church used to um, rent a bus on Christmas Eve. And on Christmas Eve, we would all go into the bus, the youth group, and then we would go around to different homes, and we would sing Christmas carols. And I wasn't a Christian yet, but I would go on that trip and I would enjoy singing the Christmas carols. And one thing that I know now is the beauty of the Christmas carols, not Christmas songs. I'm not talking about like Jingle Bells or, you know, Santa Claus is coming to town. I'm talking about the real Christmas hymns, the traditional and the true Christmas carols. Because those are the things that even before I became a Christian, while I was on that bus and singing these Christmas songs, I was singing the truth about Jesus. And, and just think about that. All around the world, these songs are played, and people even are singing these songs, and they may not yet be Christians, but they are proclaiming the truth of Christmas. And that's how I began to enjoy Jesus. I began to enjoy Jesus by singing Christmas carols even before I knew him. But that's the truth that God was bringing into my life. Um, I'm sure that for many of you, maybe you know, this is one of your favorite Christmas songs. It's Joy to the World. But of course, we would sing that. And here are some of the lyrics from the first three stanzas. Is joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. And the second stanza, joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. So just think about that. Just as I was singing those songs, as we sing those songs, we're proclaiming the truth that God has sent his son who is king. And that God has sent his son who is our Savior. 
who is going to die for us, who is coming into this world to save us from our sins. But not just that, but he rules the last stanza. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love and wonders of his love. And so this is a season of joy, of the coming of the Savior and of the coming of God's love. And then, of course, maybe this is one of your favorites, or maybe it is your, your favorite, but, oh, come all ye faithful. And as I sang that song on the bus, and as I sang it at our family's homes of our church, I was actually singing the song of invitation. Because this is God's invitation to you and to me today to come, to come to him, and to come in faith. And for those of us who have come to him in faith already, to be renewed again at this Christmas season, to be faithful to God, because God is faithful to us. And again, I would sing these songs, and I would sing these lyrics, and I was learning about the truth of Jesus. In the stanzas that I want to highlight here are, O come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. O come, O come ye to Bethlehem, come and behold him, Born the king of angels, yea, Lord, we greet thee. Born this happy morning, O Jesus, to thee be all glory given. Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing, O come, let us adore him. And this is what we sing at Christmas time. And this is what we've sung through the ages, that God has blessed us with these hymns, and they make us happy at Christmas time. But more than that, they tell us the truth of the Savior who became in the flesh for us the visible nature and the truth of God. And so this morning, I'd like to pray for us all that as we begin and look into these words today, that joy, where you need joy in your life, that God would come and give it to you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the birth of, of Grace Makana. We thank you that you've brought her into this world and that you've given her to the Campbell family, but you've also given her to your family, to us. And we pray blessings upon her and Ben and Jerry and Becca as well. And Lord, what a reminder this is to us of the joy of birth and of the joy of babies and most of all, the most blessed baby, the baby Jesus, who came into this world as king, who came in this world to be savior, who fulfilled what we've been learning through the Advent candle, that he is the answer and the, the fulfillment of your promises and prophecy, and that all the preparation that was made for him to come was fulfilled in Bethlehem that morning. And that today we can have joy with the hope of knowing that he is even here now. And so, Father, we pray that as we go into your scriptures now and as we look more deeply into your word, that your Holy Spirit who speaks in these scriptures and your Holy Spirit who wrote these scriptures would write them fresh and anew in our hearts this day. That we might be as if we were right there hearing what the angel said that we are right there hearing what Elizabeth said, that we are right there hearing what Mary said. Lord, 
even as Mary sang her magnificent Christmas song, may we sing it too this day. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before the scriptures that, Jer uh, that were read to us this morning by Al um, are scriptures that help us to understand how we got to that point. And so I'd like us just to review them. And I want to read them for you, and they'll be up on the screen. But they come from Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 35 and going through verse 45. And so as I read them, try to picture the angel coming and, and speaking. Try to picture Elizabeth there as she was going to receive at an old age. We don't know how old she was, maybe 70, maybe 80 years old, that God blessed her to have the baby that would be John the Baptist. And then imagine yourself being there and seeing Mary coming across and meeting Elizabeth and hearing these words and knowing that God was working in her life already in her womb, the baby Jesus. Hear the word of God. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears? The baby in the womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her, will be accomplished. And so as we understand this story, Mary has received the word from the Holy Spirit that she already is pregnant with the coming Messiah. And then the angel tells Mary that not only she has received this miraculous conception of a baby within her room, but the Holy Spirit has also given to her relative Elizabeth a baby. And Elizabeth heard about that six months earlier. And Elizabeth is now six months pregnant. And Mary, on hearing this news, the Bible tells us that Mary got up and she left Nazareth and she went to go visit Elizabeth. And so she was moved by the Spirit to leave her town of Nazareth and to go to the towns of Judea. We don't know exactly which town, it just says the hills of Judea. So this is a map here of Nazareth, you can see on the top. But if you went straight down, she would have to go through Samaria, and the Jews wouldn't do that in that day. And so what Mary would do is she would leave from Nazareth, and she'd go down to the Jordan River, and she would walk around the path down the Jordan River to Jericho, and then will cross over towards Jerusalem, and then over to the hill country of Judea. And it may have been the city called Hebron, they don't know for sure, but it was definitely somewhere in that area, um, in the hill country of Judea. That was a travel of about 100 miles, about 100 miles. And so it would have taken her maybe five, six, seven days to get there. And during that time, she'd be able to think about and dwell upon what God had said to her. At the same time, she'd probably be really tired. 
And, and there was no, you know, Facebook, there was no way for her to IM her cousin. And so, you know, Elizabeth didn't know she was coming. And so Elizabeth wasn't prepared. You know, there was no heads up for Elizabeth. And so, but suddenly, you know, Mary bursts through the door and she goes, Elizabeth. And Elizabeth recognizes her right away. But as soon as she sees Mary, she begins to pour out the words that we heard. And the Holy Spirit moves inside of Elizabeth. And the baby leaps inside of Elizabeth. And Elizabeth knows that this baby knows that it's the Holy Spirit, knows that Mary already has the Messiah within her womb. And she says, blessed are you among women, for you have a child that will be the Son of God. And Mary is just filled with joy. She doesn't fully understand it, but she's filled with joy and the Holy Spirit is working. And then we hear those words that were read and that Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. And so these are the words that Mary begins to sing. And we might say that this was actually the first Christmas carol sung. And it was written by the Holy Spirit. And it was sung by Mary. And so these are the words that we're going to read in verses 40, or study in verses 46 through 45. And it's like Mary has written this beautiful song, this magnificent song. And it has two big movements in it. And the first one is found in verses 46 through 49. And it is there that Mary begins to show us as she sings about her own experience with God. Christmas is the time for you and for me to experience God. Would you like to experience God in your life? Would you like to experience him in such a way that you know he is working? Would you like to experience him in such a way that you know that he is alive and that you are made more alive because he's working in your life and that the truth of the God of the universe is working in you? Then we can be like Mary. Now, of course, we're not going to be pregnant like her, but in another way, we can be still filled with the Holy Spirit within us as she was. And so we read these words, and Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. Now, in, many of you maybe have heard that this song is called the Magnificat. And the Magnificat, the word Magnificat comes from Latin, and so in the Vulgate Bible, which is the Latin translation of the Greek Bible, the first words of this, when Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord, the first word is magnificat, and it means magnificent. And it could also be translated enlarging. And so as we look at this, the way that Mary shows us how we can experience God is by enlarging our knowledge of God by enlarging our knowledge of who he is because she's learning more and more about who he is. And the first thing that we see is that he is the Lord. He is the Lord. Now, we hear that all the time. But for us to continue to learn about what it means for God to be Lord Jehovah, to be in control of everything in our lives, to enlarge God, to enlarge our understanding of him. Now, he's not going to get bigger but our knowledge of him will get bigger. And so, you know, you've used a magnifying glass before, and it enlarges the page before you so you can read the words more clearly. And as we learn more about the Lord, and as we see the word of God as through a magnifying glass, we begin to understand God more clearly. 
maybe some of you have used a telescope to look up at the stars or to look at the moon. And the, the telescope helps to enlarge the moon so that you can bring things closer to yourself to understand. And maybe in some ways God seems further away from you, but you want to see him. And so you learn from his word and you learn that he is Lord and you learn about who he is in Jesus and you learn about the Holy Spirit. And it's like looking through that telescope at the stars and it brings it closer to you. Maybe some of you use a microscope for your job. And that helps to enlarge, and you can look at things that the naked eye could never see, but it enlarges things that otherwise you would never be able to understand. And so here it is again, the word of God to you and to me. And that as we read it, God begins to explain things to us. And as he fills us with this Holy Spirit, he begins to help us to understand things that by our own naked self, we could never understand. And so like Mary, we want to magnify the Lord we want to enlarge our understanding of the Lord. We want to ask him to show us what it means to be filled by the Spirit. And we want to know what it means for him to touch our soul as well. Like Mary. Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Every one of us here has a soul. You have a soul right now. Now if I tell you to think about your toe, you just thought about your toe, all right? If I tell you to think about your nose, you just thought about your nose. So I'm going to tell you, think about your soul. And that's a little different, right? Like, what is a soul? Okay. Well, the word soul comes from a word meaning to breathe. And, and as it's used in the Bible, it's meant to breathe in such a way so that, as we know, you know, we need breath so that our life can have air so that the cells of air, can, I mean, the air goes throughout our cells and fills our life. And it helps to give us understanding when, our, so when the air and the oxygen goes to our brain. And we need that there. And so breath actually means mind. And as the breath of God was coming into Mary, and as her soul magnified the Lord, her mind was beginning to understand the Lord even more. And the word spirit, who says her spirit rejoices, and the word spirit also comes from another word, but it also means to breathe or to be breathed upon or a breeze. And so as the breath of God, as the spirit of God came upon her, Mary began to be enlivened, to be filled with the breath in her air. Air was being filled within her. And she was being able to express herself with this rejoicing and with this joy and to express the personality of who she was and so that's sort of what spirit means there. It is the breath of God being expressed through our own personality. And so both our mind, our spirit, and our soul are being enlivened by God. As Mary's is here, as we magnify the Lord, and as we grow and as we enlarge our understanding of God. And Christmas helps us to do that as we think about Jesus, as we learn more about him. And then the second thing that Mary does to experience the Lord is something all of us must do, and that is we must confess our sin and our need for the Savior. For notice that Mary acknowledges that she is a sinner as she says that, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Jesus, the baby in her womb, was also her Savior. She was a sinner just like us. She needed saving just like us. Can you imagine the day that, that you think back, that you remember that you were forgiven of all your sin? 
of what that means to you and to know that, that though you're a sinner, that God doesn't hold that against you. And this was the moment, even before the baby was born, that Mary understood as she proclaimed, this baby is my Savior. I need a Savior. And my heart rejoices in this, that the Savior has come. And that I'm confessing in the same way not only my sin, but his salvation. I'm confessing that he is Lord and that he will take care of all the things that I've ever done wrong. Maybe some of us here are dealing in a load of guilt in some way. Maybe this week you did something you wish you didn't do, or even maybe just this morning you thought of something you wish you didn't think about, or you said something you wish you didn't say, or you drove a certain way you wish you didn't drive. And yet God says, I will forgive you. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever been there, but I bet you have, where you just say, you know, God, I don't know how you can forgive me because I keep doing the things wrong that I don't want to do. I don't really want to do it, God, but I keep doing it, and I'm just sick of it, but I don't know what to do except to ask you to forgive me again. You know, I confess it again. I acknowledge, I agree with you, this is sin. Well, you know, the great apostle Paul, in the greatest maturity of his own life, understood that there was still sin that he struggled with. And these verses so encourage me. I've looked at them time and time again throughout my life when I feel so sinful and I realize that I've messed up once again. Look at these words in Romans chapter 7. And I'm going to just read verse 15 and 19 and 24 and 25. But I encourage you to go back and read Romans 7 yourself later on today. And just see what God does for us through Jesus. And then go on and read verse, uh, Romans chapter 8 afterwards as well to know the joy of forgiveness. But here we begin to see how, how Paul struggled with his own sin. And he says in verse 15, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't. Instead, I do what I hate. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I want to do, I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Have you been there? Paul's there, and he's a very mature Christian at this time, and yet he still struggles with sin. And he wonders, how can he ever be delivered? How can he ever know for certain? And so he says in verse 24 and 25, Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. And so this is again the salvation. She magnifies the Lord. Paul is understanding. He is magnifying the Lord. He is learning, he is growing, he is understanding that Jesus is his Savior and that Jesus is the answer, that Jesus is the greatest experience that any life could ever have. Is Jesus the greatest experience of your life? He wants to be so that you can know this joy. He wants to be so that you can know everything about him and being magnified in and through your life. And so Mary continues and she shows us how she magnifies the Lord and what she understands about God. And not only does she understand these things about God, she celebrates these things about God. And it's sort of the same thing that we have when we love somebody. And when somebody loves us back, we not only understand them, but we rejoice in this. So when I understood that my wife, before she was my wife, loved me, it gave me joy. When she understood that I loved her and I expressed it, it gave her joy. When I do the same thing with my children and I continue to express to them that I love them, it gives them joy. When they express it back, it's the same thing. 
And so as we get to know each other, and as we share with each other, and we know the kind of people that we are, and we accept each other just as we are, it gives us joy. And so what God would have us to do is to accept him as he is. To accept him as he is. And to know that this also gives us joy because he gives it to us as well. And the first thing that Mary helps us to celebrate is God's holiness. And so this is the beginning of the second movement of Mary's song. The first was about her experience, but the second one is her celebration. And she teaches us that we can celebrate God by believing and exulting or exalting, being excited about who he is. And the first thing is his holiness. For as she says in verse 49, and holy is his name. Holy is his name. <clears throat> A name represented everything about a person. Name represented everything about what that person was, what that person did, who that person is. And, and God is holy, and she recognizes this. Mary was a Jew, and Mary understood that holiness meant that God was separate from her, that she, he was different, that he was set apart, that he was holy and above her, that he was infinitely high, and the greatest of all, and that he was the creator of all creation. And she worshiped him. And she acknowledged his separation. She acknowledged that he is great and that he is holy. 700 years earlier, the prophet Isaiah had an experience with God where he too got to see God in a different way, where in a vision he was taken up into the throne room of God and he was able to see God, and he's able to experience God, and he was able to see the nature of God in the name of God. And we read this in the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, and, and we begin in verse 1 through verse 3, and I'm reading this from the message version of the Bible, and it says there, In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Master, sitting on a throne, high and exalted. And the train of his robes filled the temple. Angel seraphs hovered above him, each with six wings. With two they covered their faces, with two their feet, and with two they flew. And they called back and forth to one another, Holy, Holy, Holy is God of the angel armies. His bright glory fills the whole earth. Isaiah experienced what Mary knew, that God is holy, that he is separate, that he is a far away and greater than anything we could ever imagine. He is the creator of the universe, and all around him are these angelic beings proclaiming forever and always in joy and never bored and always renewed that God is holy. And this is what we would learn as we know God, that he is a holy and powerful God, and that he is also, secondly, a God of mercy, a God who cares about us, and a God who gives his forgiveness to us in mercy. For Mary says in verse 50, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. God wants to give his mercy to all 
from generation to generation. Now, something must happen. There's a qualification for us to experience this mercy. There's a qualification for us if we want to celebrate this mercy. In that in believing, there's also something else that we must do and acknowledge in our own lives. And that is our fear of God. For it says, and his mercy is for those who fear him. God wants us to fear him. Now, this is a word that many times we, we don't understand and, and we don't know what, I mean, we do fear God. We, we all have a certain fear of God, like if you ever, you know, fear God that he would punish you, right? Or you fear God that if you sin too badly, you know, you think that he's going to do something really bad to you, you know, even worse than anything you could imagine, or he's going to take something away from you. You know, that, that's the kind of fear of God that we naturally have in our humanness. But the fear of God here is the fear of his holiness. The fear and the awe and the wonder of who he is and knowing that he is so great. We naturally do have a fear, but it's a fear that says, God, I want to know what you want me to do. I want to know what you want me to say. I want to know what you want me to be. And that kind of fear is a good fear. We're afraid in the wrong way that God's going to take away something from us and so we fear, oh no, if I get too close to God, he's going to take something away from me. He's going to ask me to do something I don't want to do. But God doesn't want to take things away from you. He wants to give things to you. He wants to give you the right kind of fear. He wants to give you more than you can imagine. And for those of us who fear giving our lives fully to God, the promise is that if we do, he will take that fear and he will turn it around. And imagine that when we have the right fear of God, he removes all lesser fears. When we have the right fear of God, he removes all lesser fears. So everything you fear in your life right now that deals with a human situation is a lesser fear. Think about that right now. What do you fear in your flesh? Fear illness? You fear find something financially. You fear something regarding relationships or not having relationships. You fear something about your job. What pains you? What aches you? What hurts you? What are you worried about? Where is there sorrow in your life? Where is there loss? Now God says, I want to take all those things and those lesser things, and I want you to have a fear of me. And when you have a fear of me, it will remove all these lesser fears as you dwell upon me. It won't remove the circumstances of them, but it will remove the power of them over our lives. And the power of God will come in and the power of his fear and the mercy of God will move into our lives and we'll be able to experience God in every real way. But we must acknowledge our fear and we must acknowledge our sin. And as we go on and we read Isaiah chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, we see that Isaiah does experience this fear of God as well, just as Mary proclaims. In verse 4 and 5, it says this, Isaiah is in his vision and he's in the throne room of God and he says, the foundations trembled at the sound of the angels' voices. 
and then the whole house filled with smoke, I said, doom, it's doomsday, I'm good as dead, every word I've ever spoken is tainted, blasphemous even, and the people I live with talk the same way, using words that corrupt and desecrate, and here I've looked God in the face, the king, God of the angel armies. Isaiah just feels despair at this moment. He goes, I'm doomed. If I stand before this holy God, woe is me, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm a person who says the wrong thing. And I look around and oh my gosh, you know, everybody else is just like me too. You know, there's nobody good. There's nobody right. Not me, not anybody else. We're all doomed. He's experiencing fear. But he is about to experience the fear of God in fulfillment. As Mary tells us, we will too. When we turn our fears over to God and we say, God, I want to fear you more than I want to fear my fears. I want to fear you more than anything else that I'm going through. And so Isaiah expresses in verses 6 and 7, Then one of the angels, seraphs, so one of the angels, one of the angels, seraphs, flew to me, he held a live coal that he had taken the tongs from the altar. He touched my mouth with the coal and said, Look, this coal has touched your lips, gone your guilt, your sins wiped out. Can you imagine that? I was barbecuing the other day, and I like to use a real barbecue, you know, not one of those fake gas things. And um, so I like, to, well, I like fire, all right? And so I love making fire. And, um, and so I like the charcoal, and man, it, they get hot, right? They're red hot. And that's what I always imagine when I, when I read this verse, that, that one of these angels went over to my barbecue and took out one of those red hot coals. And he goes, your sin, your sin is on your lips. Jesus said, you know, it's not what goes into a man that defiles him. Is what comes out of him that does. Our lips, our sin is represented in our lips. Would you let the angel touch your lips with that red hot coal? To know the fear of God and to experience him. Now I think our, we, we can make our faith so simple by just saying, oh, if I become a Christian, I just say a prayer and everything will be good. But what about a Christianity that you truly have to experience through commitment? What about a Christianity that you really have to experience that actually hurts? I mean, we want to get married. We want to experience love. I don't know anybody who experiences love who doesn't hurt. You want a job. You want a good job. You want to make money. I don't know anybody who makes money in a good way where their job doesn't hurt. Uh, you want to go to good school. You want to study hard. I don't know anybody who goes to a good school or studies hard that doesn't hurt. And so in everything that we want and everything that we experience in life, there is a good hurt. There is a good fear. And so here is the invitation of God. And he says, I have this coal and I want to touch your lips with it. Will you let me? And I want to say, I do, God. I do. I want to be forgiven. 
I want to know that forgiveness. I want to know your presence. I want to experience you every day. I want to live for you. I want to be like Mary. I want to be faithful. I want to know your strength. Will you let God touch your lips with the coals of his grace? Name Jesus. It'll hurt. And it'll cleanse. And it'll be a hurt that makes lesser hurts go away. Just as it makes lesser fears fall away. And then he'll replace it. And he's going to give you a gift that Mary proclaims. So we go back to the verses of Mary in Luke chapter 1. And we look at verse 51 through 53. And we hear Mary say through the Holy Spirit, He has shown his strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and the exalted and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. God's strength is there for us. Not our strength, but his strength. He will carry us through. He will work for us. And this is a, a picture, not physical arm, but it's a picture. It's telling us about God's strength. And it represents his power and his power to deliver us as he delivered the Israelites, his power to support us as he supported the Israelites, and his power to uphold us in all trials as he upholds his people always. And it also represents his arm to defeat the enemy. And as Mary says, to scatter the proud and to bring them down. God wins. And this baby is representative of all the power of God. And it's such to us, such a paradox that this baby is the most powerful being in all the universe. And he brings his strength, and he brings God's strength. And he brings it in such a way that he's going to reverse the tides of humanity. He's going to reverse what we think is usually right. He's going to take that which is last, and he's going to make it first. He's going to take that which is on the inside and he's going to reveal it as more important than what's on the outside. Where we in our world, we tend to think that the people who are first are the people who are big. And God says, no, the people who in this world are big are going to be made small. And the people who on the outside seem so great, if they don't have a good insight, theirs is going to be revealed as being an empty shell. But those of you who may not look so great on the outside, but who have on the inside God and Jesus living, then you are going to be revealed as being great in the kingdom of God. You are going to be revealed as being all that God made you to be. And that which is on the downside of life right now is that which God's going to use to the upside of your eternity. He's going to reverse everything that we think about through this baby. He has a different way of life. And as long as we seek life in the way of this world, we're not going to ever be satisfied. As long as we seek to celebrate Christmas without the truth of Christ, we'll never have a real Christmas celebration. As long as we seek to live a life in such a way that it's just fulfilling of the things on the outside, fulfilling of the things of the flesh, we'll never, ever be satisfied. But if we become spiritually hungry, and we do live for the things that are invisible, we are willing to be last. We are willing to let the inside be more important than the outside. We're willing to live for eternity instead of today. Then our spiritual hunger will grow. 
and our spiritual hunger will be filled because God is faithful. All of us have a spiritual hunger, but to varying degrees we realize that. All of us have a spiritual hunger, but it depends upon your willingness to be hungry before God. And you can say to God, now I want to be hungry for you more than I want to be hungry for anything else in this world. I want to be thirsty for you more than I want to be thirsty for anything else in this world. And that will please him. And he will fulfill that hunger. And he will fulfill that thirst. Because that is more powerful and greater than anything we can ever feel in our flesh. Because our soul and our spirit is alive. And more important than anything else in this world. And that will be fulfilled through God and through this baby. And so we read that God is faithful. And that God in his faithfulness will fulfill everything that we need. He will help us as he helped Israel. And so we read in verse 54, And he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever, that God wants to fulfill the promises from the very first, when he first called Abraham in the Old Testament to be the beginning of the people of Israel and to the fulfillment that through Abraham there would be his descendants more numerous than the stars of the sky or the, or the sand on the seashore. And that you and I are to be part of that family of God, innumerable. And that we are to be part of those who are of the family of the true Israel, who know Jesus Christ and who love him, and who receive all of the promises of God, all of the promises he has made. God is faithful. And every promise that he makes to you, he makes to, to his people, he will fulfill and keep. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 29, the Bible says to us, And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs. And God promised to Abraham belongs to you. The Bible says that every promise of the Bible is yes in Jesus. And the center of Christmas is Jesus. Next week is Christmas Sunday. We'll be able to light the last two candles next week. But the candle in the middle, the biggest candle, the white one, is called the Christ candle. And just as he is the center of the Advent candle, so he is the center of Christmas. And next week we're going to talk about that. And it's going to be a really, it's going to be a very different service. I'm not going to, I'm just going to try to tease you on that. It's going to be something we've never done before. And, and I promise you, you will enjoy it. You know, I, I promise you, and if you don't enjoy it, then I promise you, you know, your money back. Um, and so, but God, God wants us to know that Christ is the center, and that's our theme next week, Christ the center. You know, the theme of this series is it's all about Jesus. And today, it's all about Jesus. And Christ is the center. And he is faithful. But he bids you to come and to receive that faithfulness in your life by saying, God, I give all of my life to you. And I believe that when Jesus was giving the Lord's Supper to his disciples, he was giving them an opportunity to regularly reenact their commitment to him as well. 
of taking him inside themselves each time and of remembering the cross that he died on in their behalf. And so today, as we get ready to partake of communion, I want you to be aware of the invitation of God, of his faithfulness, of his strength, and of his mercy, and of his holiness, and that you come to be faithful to him. Just as we will sing later, O come all ye faithful, you come as a commitment to be faithful to him and to ask him to help you to be faithful. We can't be faithful on our own, but he will fulfill in us his faithfulness. And so we remember as we come to the Lord's Supper, that on the night in that which he was betrayed, that Jesus took the bread. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Eat this, do this, in remembrance of me. And after they had taken the bread, he gave them the cup. And he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And as long as you drink it and you eat this, you remember my death. You remember my death until I come. And so today we remember Jesus who came as a baby, who came to give his life on the cross that we might come and take him into our lives and that he is faithful to you and he invites you to come. If you've committed your life to Jesus, if you've asked him to be your savior, he wants you to remember him always in this meal. And so you come and remember him as well. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we, we come to you, we pray that we would remember in your blood the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross for us. And as we remember the bread, remember the price that Jesus paid of carrying the cross to Calvary and of being nailed there on it for us. But we also remember that he came alive again and that he went to heaven and that someday we are promised to go there and to be there with him as well. And so, Lord, in all of this, we remember the commemoration of, of your coming the first time and of your coming the second time. And so, Lord, we proclaim your faithfulness and we come in the fear of God. And we come that we too might be faithful. We come in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. And so as you feel ready, come forward. There are two places, one here on the left and here on the right. And also you may want to sit by the cross and spend this time in meditation as you come to the Lord. As he is faithful, let us be faithful as well.